So does anyone else feel like, uh, like the year is just flying by already? I mean, I cannot believe it. We have, we have this, we have this message and we have the next message and then we're done with the series called Rescued. And then we jump into Palm Sunday and then we have Easter. Like it's just like really coming quick. So I wanna encourage you right now to be ready to invite people to Easter because this is an opportunity dynamically for somebody to come to Christ. Every Easter people come to Christ and we wanna just encourage you to invite those people who you feel like really just need to hear it. Let's take a moment right now if we can and just uh, welcome those who are online. Hey, there's a, there's a, wait, hold on, hold on. Hold on. There, there's, there's, so we're talking to you, Andrew from Belgium, and uh, Andrew from Belgium is on line with us, and the rest of you guys, we love you guys. We're so excited that you're joining us each and every week. Now, can we welcome them online? Can we do that? Way to go. All right, so let me, uh, we're going to be looking at uh, Romans 12, 17 through 21 today. I'm going to read the passage, and then we're going to walk back through it in greater depth. Here we go. Starting in verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it's mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. All right, let's jump into this. Let's go back to verse uh, 17. It starts with, do not repay anyone evil for evil. And I love this because it starts to describe like a, an issue. And, and I think if we're gonna talk about what we're gonna talk about today, we're gonna talk about critics, we're gonna talk about criticism, and we're gonna talk about people who are difficult. And so Paul jumps right in this and he says, listen, don't repay anyone evil for evil. Do you know why he has to put a command out there like that? Because it's very human and very natural that when somebody does something bad to you, that you wanna do something bad to them. It's just human. We're not judging you for that. There's no condemnation for that. It's just, it's, he's saying, listen, this is not gonna help your life. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Somehow, some way, we in this country have lost the ability to be able to take a blow without, without striking back. And so what happens is that's not strength, that is weakness. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. And one of the big challenges for us, just as we're dealing with conflict and we think about you know, these people who are doing good things and bad things in the relationships that we're in in the world is that we have natural tendencies, right? And some of us have these certain natural tendencies. So we're two big tendencies, the way that we tend to deal with conflict. Number one is what I'm gonna call the chronic overreactor. And then number two is the chronic underreactor, right? And it just by God's humor, generally puts these two people in a marriage, okay? And, uh, and so the chronic overreactor is the person that goes from zero to 100 really fast, right? And you know, because this is the environment that you came out of, that, that, that you are more intuitive, you can read people's emotions. When you feel bad and you feel something coming, drama coming off of that person, you don't, you're not super reasonable in the moment, you just go from zero to 100. And you don't realize that that seems scary and strange and weird. We'll talk about that in a second. But then the, the chronic underreactor is the person who, when things get hard or they get criticized, you have a tendency just to take it all inside, right? You don't push back. The chronic overreactor, they rationalize, they generalize, they push back because hurt people hurt people, right? We've heard that before. The, the chronic underreactor is the person who says, I'm just gonna take it. And then your, your goal in conflict is to escape, right? So what ends up happening is that the chronic overreactor is always chasing you around, you know, because you're just trying to run from them. And here's what's going on. In the chronic overreactor, this person feels like you're not 
you don't care about them because you're not engaging with the same level of intensity. If you are a chronic underreactor, just the next time somebody goes from zero to 100, you just go, I know, it's terrible, isn't it? You know, just see, they'll go, yeah, it really is. You know, just calm, like, just calm right now. Why? Because this person's looking for something from you, and that is they're looking for you to match their energy, right? But you need to know, like, if you're the chronic overreactor, the underreactor is scared sometimes. Like, it's a crazy thing for you to just lose your stuff and, uh, and, and just go from zero to 100 all of a sudden. That's just, that's, it's, it's weird, it's strange. And so for the chronic underreactor, they're just trying to get to a safe place in their heart and their mind. So what you need to do is you need to back off. You need to like realize, ah, I'm coming on really, really strong right now. What I need to do is just relax, right? And I know that's hard. I come from a chronic line of chronic overreactors. I get it, I understand that. But the challenge is that we have, we, all of us have different types of coping strategies when it comes to conflict. And Paul starts off by saying, listen, the natural tendency in the heart when you have been not just offended, but hurt by the, in the soul, hurt in a way that was meaningful and significant, a promise was broken, something was betrayed, and the natural tendency is to just spend our time in this kind of fantasy revenge world where I'm going to repay this person evil for evil. He says, this is not helpful. But it is natural and it is understanding. So, 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 so it is understandable. So what do we do and how do we listen to correction? When someone speaks into our life, how do we listen to correction? Because it's really important that we do. If we're not on the right track when it comes to listening to the right people, we're going to be in trouble. And I tell you this all the time, teaching matters. Who you listen to really does matter, including me. It matters who you listen to because who you listen to will often determine the way in which you respond to the world. In other words, if you're listening to angry voices all the time, you will not just listen to angry voices, you'll become an angry voice. If you are listening to godly, wise counsel, you'll become wise and good if you're listening to wickedness, you'll become wicked. It's just what you permit on the inside of you. And for some of you, especially if you're chronic underreactors, the tendency is just to accept every kind and form of criticism and say, it must be me, this is my problem. And that is actually majorly self-destructive because eventually what ends up happening is that you get to a point where you can't handle it anymore and then you just lose, you just, you just, you just go mental, it's crazy. Like you flip out, right? And the person's like, why are you overreacting? You're like, because I've been storing all of this inside of me. So our tendencies are, are sometimes dangerous. Like on the one hand, we'll listen to criticism that is wrong and we shouldn't. And then on the other hand, we'll listen, we won't listen to godly counsel that is wise. The book of Proverbs gives us some really amazing wisdom. And that's why the book of Proverbs is called wisdom literature, right? Proverbs 15, verse 31. And it says this, whoever heeds and listens to life-giving correction. So this is the kind of good correction. This is criticism that is helpful because it's life-giving. Whoever heeds or listens to life-giving correction will be at home among the wise. But those who disregard discipline despise themselves, but the one who heeds correction gains understanding. So what does this mean? Whoever heeds or listens to uh, life-giving correction will be among the wise, home among the wise. It means basically this, that if you are smart and you're strategic about your spiritual, mental, and emotional growth, it means that you're going to listen to people who speak life-giving truth into your heart. It's gonna be helpful to you. On the other side of that, it means that essentially you're gonna be comfortable, comfortable being around people who are super wise, people who are healthy, people who are whole and working towards being better. 
if you listen to those people, life-giving correction, this is going to change your life. And so I want to just encourage you right now, if you have not curated the right kind of voices in your life, if you don't have people to speak truth into your life, you need to have them. And I'm going to encourage you, if you're a Christian, that I want you to have wise, godly Christian people who are speaking into your life in this way. Because somebody who doesn't share the faith and somebody who doesn't, is on the same, that's not equally yoked with you, will have a different value system than you. And so input in, output out, right? So whoever heeds or listens to life-giving correction will be home among the wise. But then he flips it and he says, those who disregard discipline despise themselves. So you've heard me talk about this for a while now, but I'm gonna keep just bringing it back. You cannot let whatever thought comes into your mind just dominate your heart and mind. Why? Because it's an undisciplined thing to do. And he's saying, listen, those who disregard discipline, if you don't take control of what's coming in, it's ultimately going to harm you. It's going to cause all kinds of problems. In fact, that's what he means when he says they despise themselves. Those people who just let anything and everything into their hearts and their brains despise themselves. They hate themselves. This is the net result of just listening to anybody and everybody pour whatever it is they're going to pour into your life. Because broken people and mean people, and harsh people, and people who are not right should not be listened to, right? And when you do that, it's like you hate yourself. So he's like, look, if you're wise, you're going to listen to the right people, and you're going to be at home with those who are wise. Why? Because you're just like them. You're going to draw people around you who are wise because you're wise, right? But those people who just disregard what wisdom, it's like they actually hate themselves. But the one who heeds correction the one who listens to wise and godly life-giving correction, they gain understanding. What does that mean? It means at the end of this, you're gonna be a little bit more whole. Understanding is talking about you'll gain more understanding of yourself and of God and of the world in which you live in. Because the outcome of wisdom, the outcome of wisdom is understanding. It's wise for us to listen to godly counsel. When we don't listen to godly counsel, it really ends up causing us all kinds of trouble. And then it says here in verse 33, wisdom's instruction is to fear the Lord and humility comes before honor. See, wisdom's instruction is to fear the Lord. Like I'm gonna always put God here and I'm gonna put myself here. That's how it works, right? But humility comes before honor. In other words, as you walk humbly before the Lord, as you are listening as God gives you wisdom and listening to godly counsel around you, eventually you're gonna be in the place where you're comfortable with the wise and you will be honored for that. The Bible tells us that when we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, in due time, he will exalt us. He will lift us up. And the idea behind that is you've got to have the right thing on the inside of your heart. I remember my, very, uh, my second pastorate was actually uh, in this town. And I was at a giant megachurch. And I was teaching. I was really young. And I was teaching thousands and thousands of people. And uh, the pastor was very generous to me. He let me take all the services once a month, seven services. People are like, hey, how do you preach five services all the time? I'm like, I'm preaching less than I used to. So seven services, and it was, you know, 1,000 people in every one of the rooms. It's just kind of like that. And it was great. But the pastor pulled me aside one day. He goes, hey, Mike, uh, you're young. And it was just, it was, a lot of, it was a lot of privilege at a really young age. And he goes, hey, listen. And he told me a variation of this. He basically said, you have to learn how to serve before you can lead you must be humble before you can be exalted. It's one of the best things anybody ever told me in my whole life. And I'll just, I'll just remind you that in order to be honored, you have to be exalted. To be exalted, you humble yourself. And so as we do that, we recognize that conflict is not always a necessity. He says, like, you don't want to be, you want to be at home with the wise. You don't want to be at home with the foolish. So, so if you're always in life, just think about this for a second. And I, this is common sense, I think. 
right? But if you're always in conflict, you're at conflict with people at your work, you're at conflict in your social relationships, you're at conflict with your marriage. If you're at conflict in every area of your life, you're not at home with the wise. So what's going on right there? Well, there's only one common denominator. And that means that something inside of you is not wise, right? And so what we're going to do is not just be like judgmental and condemning, you're not wise, let's just move on from that. No, no, no. We're going to look at that, have humility and go, well, I need to learn more wisdom. I need to walk in the ways of righteousness. I need to change. Romans 12, again, verse 17, it says this, do not repay anyone evil for evil. And then it says, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. This is actually in my job description here at Grace. It's in the Bible too. And it basically says that an elder, pastor, must have a good reputation with insiders, insiders, and then outsiders, right? And so the reason for that is because there is a kind of, there is a kind of honor in being a pastor and I'm well aware of it. I realize it. I'm up here, right? This is what we're doing right now. And I realize that when you have that kind of honor, you require a reputation to go along with it. In other words, you have to have the moral authority to be the person that you are on the stage all the time. That doesn't mean you're perfect. It just means, and the same thing for you, it doesn't mean God's requiring you to be perfect. It just means that you're walking with intentionality, right? And so we have to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. And whenever I'm around Orlando, whether I'm walking down Park Avenue or I'm at the mall somewhere or I'm doing something in Orlando, people are always coming up and saying, hi, Pastor Mike, you know, and I realize I have eyes on me. But every once in a while, when I leave town, it's easier to be a different person. Why? Because you don't have to do what is right in the eyes of everyone because the everyone is not here anymore right? So I always take people with me out of town, like one of, like, like one of the pastors. I'll take, I'll take one of the guys with me. If I go to Chicago, they're coming to Chicago with me. What are they going to do? They're just going to hang out with me. You know why? Because like when I'm there, it's easier to not be the person that I am here. And so the job of you and the job of me is to make sure that we are constantly doing what is right in the eyes of everyone. Now, here's the problem with this. Often, people take this concept and they turn it into something that it's not meant to be. They turn it into people-pleasing. So the way that they say is, you know, well, it says do what's right in the eyes of everyone. It doesn't say do, do what makes everyone happy. I have friends that are pastors and guys that I kind of coach here and there um, all over the place. And every once in a while, I'll have to say something like, hey, you're off track in your spiritual life right now. And yes, pastors get off track in their spiritual life. You're off track in your spiritual life right now. You need to turn. You need to make a change. You're either going to embarrass the church or you're going to mess up your marriage. What do you need to do? How do we fix this? Sometimes doing what is right in the eyes of everyone is saying hard things to people. And a wise man and a wise woman, when they receive a hard word from a brother who loves them, will receive it. Like I determined a long time ago when the elders, when the elders talked to me here at the church, um, and our structure is a little bit different, but, our, but, 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 you know, when the elders talk to me at the church, I'm listening. When the people who are close to my life, I'm listening. Why? Because here's how I determine God's will frequently in my life. Someone will come and say, hey, here's something that I, I want you to see in your life. And then I'll be like, I'll go back and I'll process it with the Lord. And I'll say, God, is this true? And is this right? Well, I'm going to give you a, a filter to do that in just a second. But is this true? And is this right? Is this something that I should do? I need you to have someone else come and say those same words to me. And he does all the time. Like someone will come and go, I just want to tell you that this is something that I see and this is important for you as your next step in terms of growth. And I just immediately go, well, that's it. You know, one of the elders and one of my friends and one of, one of the elders are my friends, but you know, all of that, all of that to say, like if, if they speak that into my life, I'm going to listen. Why? Because I want to get better. I want to be better. I want 10 years from now to look back at this time and go, I don't know why you were here. Like, you know, like, like I want to be that much better, you know? That's the hope. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. But it doesn't mean that we are people pleasers. But sometimes in the Bible, 
you can see something that looks very similar to people-pleasing, and it's a nuance, and I'm going to show it to you right now. It's a nuance, and it's super important that we understand this because it's the way that we're going to reach the city of Orlando, okay? And it's not people-pleasing. People-pleasing is primarily about you, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a second, but what it is really about is about mission. Here we go. 1 Corinthians 9, Paul, who's writing this, the book of Romans, is also writing this, and he says this, 1 Corinthians 9, 22. He says, to the weak I became weak to win the weak. I become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. So prior to this, right, prior to this, him writing this, he says, um, he says to, the, when I, to the Jew, I become like a Jew. In other words, when I'm talking to a Jewish person, I become like a Jewish person. He says, when I'm talking to the Gentile or one who's not about the law, I become like a Gentile and not about the law. Years ago, this guy who's an engineer in our church pulled me aside. He said, I'm having trouble having a conversation with one of my coworkers. He's asking me questions about Jesus and I don't know how to respond to him. And he said, would you have, he, he said, he's Muslim. And uh, he said, will you have lunch with us? The, just the three of us. And I said, yeah, absolutely. And so I'm having lunch with him. And the first thing that I do, just to kind of like, just disarm, because what we're doing is we're building bridges, right? And so I just disarmed him. And I basically greeted him in Arabic with the, with, with the statement, you know, uh, peace be upon you, which is something in the Middle East that Christians use and Muslims use, right? It's just a comment. It's like, hey, the Lord be with you. And also with me, right? So, so, so let's just, we, we know those things. I mean, somebody's an Episcopalian. So, uh, so to the weak, I became weak uh, to win the weak. So he's like, listen, when I'm, when I'm talking to people who are spiritually weak, I don't go in with all these theological jargons and all this kind of stuff. I, I just become weak like them because I'm gonna win the weak that way. So I'm gonna become like them in order to win them. That's different than people-pleasing, which is a personality defect that basically says, I'm gonna try to make everyone happy. And that's done out of a different motive than trying to win a person's heart and soul. And some of you are just naturally inclined to be that people pleaser. And it's probably because like me, maybe you didn't grow up in the same kind of environment that I did, that kind of violent, you know, physically violent kind of environment. I had to come into the house and know with my radar, because this high EQ kind of thing, I had to look at a person, my father or my mom or whatever, and I had to know, is this going to be a time I'm going to get hit? And I had to just discern that. And so I took that into every relationship I have. I very, very much feel what other people feel when I'm connected to them. You know? And so, so, so at times, you can, we can take that gift and turn that into, I know how that, what this person needs because I feel what they need coming from them. And then you just become what that person needs. That's people-pleasing, right? And as you do that, you do that in every relationship in your life. You just become what this person needs and what this person needs and what this person needs. And the problem with that is that you lose you eventually. Because all you are is a chameleon that changes colors every time someone needs something different. And over time, what ends up happening is that you become resentful and you become angry because no one's ever loved me, no one ever's cared for me. It's not true. You've just never shown yourself to be loved or cared for. You have become everything everyone else needed. And when you did that, you lost who you were. And in this case, Paul's not saying, I become weak and I lose myself. He's saying, I, I, I become weak because I know the strategy to win the weak. So I have this conversation with this Muslim guy and it's fantastic. He's asking me questions about Jesus. And he says to me, no one's ever been able to talk to me about Jesus the way that you talk to me. Now I didn't get saved on the, on the spot or anything, but he walked out of there having an impression of our faith that made much more sense. But you know how I approached him? I approached him like I do a Jewish person. I don't talk about grace and mercy 
These are not concepts in Judaism like they are in Christianity. And so I talk to him like a Jew or like a, like a Muslim, and I talk about law, and I talk about righteousness, and I talk about how Jesus is the fulfillment of those things. And ultimately, it's just like, wow, no one's ever said that to me before. That's amazing. Well, what are we doing right there? Well, to win him, I'm going to become like him. I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel. Listen. If we're going to reach people with the gospel, we cannot say, hey, you become like me first, and then I'll talk to you. We have to say, I will go with you as far as I can go with you. And there are, there are boundaries here, guys. Like, you just can't be, you know, like, you just can't be like, well, let's just go out and get drunk tonight and do whatever. You know, that's not, that's not, that's not how it works. Like, there's boundaries right there where I'm going to walk with you as far as I possibly can because I love you and I want the absolute best for your life, right? So I'm going to become all things to all people so that by all possible means, anything I can do, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. That I may share in its blessings. So, so we have to become like the people that we're around. So when you go to a charismatic church, man, you better be raising your hands, you know? When you go to a Baptist church, you better scowl a lot. Like when you go to a, when you go to a, a, an Episcopal, Episcopal church, drink a lot. Like it's just how it works. You gotta become like the people in order to reach the people, right? That was a joke. All right, so anyway... He's like, to the Jews, I became like a Jew. Verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. In verse 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Hey, let's just let this sink in for a second. Just read it. Just read it for a second. Paul's saying this is what the church is supposed to look like. This is what individuals in the church are supposed to look like. If your life looks different than this, you're out of alignment. If it's possible, so the first thing he says is, hey, you know what? It may not be possible. It may not be po- There are some people that are just going to hate you for the sake of hating you, period, right? My daughter, who is sweetness and light, she's in the eighth grade, and she's got this girl, this girl at, at, at school, and she tries all the time to reach out to her. She tries to like, she, her name's Katie, my, my daughter's name's Katie Claire. I'm like, Katie Claire, like she's, you know, she, she, she's like, I talk to her, I invite her to be part of something. Every time I do, she rolls her eyes and walks away. And I'm just like, well, cut her out of your life. You know, I'm, I didn't do it. But, but, but that's what I want to do. I want to protect my daughter. But you know my daughter? Like she just, she wants this to happen. But this little, I don't know what's wrong. You, you never know what's going on in someone's life. But she's just absolutely mean all the time. Not just to my daughter, but to all kinds of people, all kinds of the girls that are over there, right? And, and it may not be possible for them to be friends. But he says this, if it's possible, and here's, here's, here's what you need to understand. If it's possible, as it depends on you. So, so when you're in conflict, when, when, you, when you are the overreactor who's running after the underreactor, and you're like, if you would just change and be like me, then everything would be better. Has that ever worked? Did someone ever wake up and go, you know, you're right. I'm just going to be like you, you know, and have all, it doesn't work that way, right? But, but because Paul's here, he's reversing that equation. He's like, you can't say to them, you must be like this in order for us to be friends, in order for our relationship to come forward. He says, as it depends on you. So the way that you deal with a relationship that you're really close to, you deal with your sin in front of them, not their sin. So you come with, Here's the things that I've done wrong. And if they go, yep, you sure have, you bite your tongue and you go, yep, I sure have. You know, why? Because the only way that you're ever gonna get to the place where one of you 
is able to move into the other one of you and fix that relationship is that you got to stop doing this. And some of us just go round and round and round over and over and over again. We, do, we bring up the same problems. Conflict happens. Conflict avoidance happens. What ends up happening over there is we start bringing up past problems. Well, you used to do this and you used to do that. And we just get into that thing. He says, if it's possible at all, it has to depend on you. Live at peace with everyone. So never let yourself be the reason why you're not living at peace with someone else. Never let yourself be the, 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 the person who does that. So three ways to respond to criticism. Three ways to respond to criticism. Like, how do we do that? Because criticism's hard, right? Like, when someone comes, it's natural to kind of go, uh, I'm just going to rationalize why I'm doing this, or maybe say you're not a good person to listen to, whatever. Three ways to respond to criticism. Here they are. Truthful criticism, untruthful criticism, and bad-hearted criticism. Let's take a look at the definitions. So number one, truthful criticism is mostly true and should be listened to and processed, okay? Now, this is a person who comes with good intentions, right? They come with good intentions. Their desire is for you to grow. They love you. They care about you. You have to have these people in your life. If you don't, you're always just making stuff up as you go. But when you have other people in your life and they're looking and they're watching you and they're helping you, truthful criticism is mostly true. That means that it's not always all true, You still have to go away and you should listen to it and then you should process it with the Lord. Go back and ask the Lord, Father, how much of this is true that this person said? What can I take from what my friend said and employ in my life? What can I do, Lord, to do that? Now, the other side of it is sometimes, number two, there is untruthful criticism, right? Untruthful criticism is mostly untrue and should be disregarded. Some of you feel like it's morally wrong for you to push back on someone who is criticizing you and it's just not good. Now, these people may not have bad hearts. They're not coming at you trying to destroy you. What they're doing, in essence, is they just may not be very good at it. There have been times when I've gotten counsel from people and I'm like, man, I'm gonna do the exact opposite of everything that person said. Like, it's, you know how many, like sometimes like you just get bad counsel from people. Like, I'm not gonna get my, I'm not gonna get my, my tax information from a guy who went to seminary. I'm just not. Like, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get my, I'm not gonna get my legal advice from some random guy that I work out with. I'm gonna get it from a lawyer. I'm gonna get my medical advice from Google. Right? <laughs> right? Just like, just like whatever, like whatever it is, like we have to go to the good source. I'm gonna get my medical advice from a doctor, right? So Every once in a while, someone is just not gifted or skilled in dealing with the conflict or the challenge that you're going through. You need to find people who are, and the people who are not, who have good hearts, they wanna help you too. They're just not good at it. They're just not good at it. You have to take that and go, thank you so much for your information and thank you so much for helping me. And your goal there, again, is to be very great because they're trying to help. It's not to be like, well, that was all really dumb and I'm not gonna listen to any of it. Just thank them, say, hey, that's appreciate that. And then go away and process that with the Lord. But you don't need to take that into yourself. Some of you are uncritically accepting all kinds of criticism. And that deforms your heart. Especially for this third category. This third category is this. Bad-hearted criticism is motivated by anger and frustration, jealousy, envy, or some other agenda on the part of the critic. And it should not be listened to at all. You need to have permission from somebody in your life to say, you do not need to listen to everyone. Not everyone should have a voice in your life. It's just true. Not everyone should have a voice in your life. And a person who comes with bad motives, they just desire to tear you down, you don't need to listen to that at all. I wouldn't even be in the presence of a person like that. I'm just gonna walk away from a guy like that. If that person is just tearing me apart for no reason, I'm just gonna be like, appreciate it, and walk away. 
Why? Because that's not helpful. And if we allow somebody who is broken, somebody who's sinful, somebody who may be acting wickedly in this moment to put those things inside of our hearts, we have basically accepted garbage into us. And you need to realize it's okay for you not to accept that. You need to realize that's not bad. It's not prideful. It's not wrong. It's actually wisdom. Heed life-giving advice and walk away from life-death-dealing advice. You don't need it. That's not what we're called to do. Verse 19 says again, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it's mine to avenge and I will repay, says the Lord. So let's bring this home to some practical kinds of things. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. The first thing I want you to see here in this passage might be really surprising to you. You may not have like seen this before, but I want you to see it in this passage. He says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath for it is written, It's mine, that's God's. It's God's to avenge and to repay with wrath. So the first thing I want you to see is God is not against revenge and he's not against wrath. I'll come back to that in a second. Years ago, I was counseling with a woman. She was 19 or 20 years old. And uh, she was like, I'm telling you guys, if you knew this woman, you would be utterly amazed at her. She is one of the most amazing people I've ever met. She does public speaking now. She's just incredible, amazing, incredible person, right? And... uh, But when she came, she was struggling and overwhelmed because she had grown up in an environment, kind of like a foster care environment. She was finally adopted by a Christian foster family and it was amazing the life change that was spoken into her. But here's the reason why she was broken and why so many people in their schools, uh, in her school, just used to tear her apart. Because she, her mom almost, she has no relationship with her mom, she, um, or her dad, her mom almost terminated her pregnancy because her mother was the victim of rape. And she is the daughter of the man that raped her mother. She, she doesn't know the dad or the mother. And so now she's going through the foster system. And everybody, those kids, you know how kids are, like in junior high and high school. I was talking with a high schooler just yesterday. And I was like, this is one of the hard, junior high and high school are some of the worst times of your whole life sometimes. Kids are just brutal. And so these kids would bring that information forward because they knew about it. And they would just basically tell her, tell her she was not wanted, that she was a mistake, that she was an, abs, uh, you know, an accident, and that her parents uh, didn't love her or care for her. And her family got a hold of her, her real family, the one that she was fostered into. God, they just spoke hope and encouragement into her life. They talked to her all the time about her not being a mistake because God was bigger than her family. And for those of us who grew up in very, very dysfunctional kinds of worlds, God is bigger than your family. You are not the product of your circumstances. You can absolutely break the chains and walk away from that kind of background and have wholeness and goodness and a beautiful life. You 100% can. And she took that message into her heart and she just became somebody who's just amazing and incredible. Like I'm so proud of it. It's amazing. But when you go through something that is so devastating to your heart and to your soul, we're not talking about little wounds. We're talking about big, giant things. She left when she said, death do us part. And now she's remarried and everybody's happily ever after. And you're just in the background going, what the hell? Like, God, why would you let something like that happen? The natural tendency of every single one of us is to take revenge. And Paul says, hey, and this is so beautiful. Watch this. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. No one's going to escape this. No one's getting away with this. But but what? Don't take revenge, wrath, or 
Uh, Don't take revenge or wrath. Why? Because he says, it's mine. It belongs to me. So so when you and I take revenge, and you know what it's like, right? Because you're fantasizing about all these things that's going to go wrong in their life and how you're going to come out victorious and their life's going to be messed up and it's going to be terrible. He says, I'm going to take all of that revenge and all of that wrath. It's mine. And here's the reason why. Because we can't wield it. Because we can't hold it. Because when I take revenge and I take wrath, it deforms me on the inside. My soul gets twisted up. Only a perfectly righteous and holy person can do wrath and revenge. He's not against it. He says, don't take it. Don't take it for yourself, my dear friends, but leave room for me. I'll do it. It's mine. Because God is the only one who is holy and perfect and able to be able to do what is necessary with wrath in the right way. Only God can do it. When you pick it up as a weapon to hurt someone else, you are demolishing yourself. Because it's written, it is mine to avenge. This is what God says, and I will repay. We talked about this last week. There's only two things that happen to every person in the planet. One, the person who wounded you and did terrible things to you, they will find repentance in the Lord. And you're like, that's not fair. Like, that's not fair. Like, they did terrible things to me. It doesn't make sense that they get to get away with it. But if you're a Christian, you got away with it. All of the condemnation that was supposed to fall on you and me as followers of Jesus fell on Jesus. No one got away with anything. The Bible... The Bible says that Jesus was crushed for our iniquities. He was demolished so that we could be set free. And so I want the worst enemy of mine to have this experience that they come to repentance in Christ and know the grace and mercy of Jesus like I have. Because if they don't, and revenge is out of my hands, God will take revenge and wrath because it's his and he will repay. And the Bible says that it says that the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever and ever. And I don't want that on any person, including the people that have fallen into the category of an enemy for me. Because each and every one of us, the only reason we get to stand before God is because we got away with it. Because we were freed because he was punished. And he says, this is not what we're to be. We're not to be wrathful, revengeful people. Verse 20 says, he says, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. The concept of heaping burning coals on someone's head is an ancient way of saying, you'll really start to get them to think. They'll really start thinking, like, why are you so good to me when I've been so wicked to you? Matthew 5, 16, Jesus says it like this, in the same way, in the same way, let your, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father. See, the purpose of us bringing good into the world is so that they may see the Father one day because we're not people pleasers. We're not just conforming to be like the world. What we're doing is we're on mission and we're doing this in such a way that when our lives are in alignment with the Father's, people will glorify him, not us. When you respond to somebody who's done wickedness to you with goodness, it causes something to short circuit in them. They don't understand it. Colossians 3.17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, 
Why do you do this? Why, why, why do you forgive me? Why do you respond the way that you do? Because the Lord Jesus responded to me this way. And I act in his name. It's not because I'm moral or because I'm good. It's because I'm forgiven. And then Paul ends all of this Romans 12 section right here. And he says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do you know what kind of strong person it takes in a society filled with wickedness to not be overcome with evil? Every single one of us has brokenness and sinfulness inside of us. Every single one of us. And if you're here today and you're like, I don't like that. I don't love that. We're not calling you a bad person. We're saying we have a sickness inside every one of us. A spiritual cancer that will eventually kill all of us. Unless we get to the place where we're able to say, I need the cure. And the cure is Jesus. His desire is to make us whole and to take all these broken things in our past and to make them make sense for us. God has done that for me. He can do that for you. All it requires is us to be humble enough to say, not my will, God, but your will. I'll do what you say. I want what you are. Let's pray. Father, there are broken hearts in the room because people have hurt us. There are people who are overwhelmed with grief, a lack of forgiveness in their heart. And it's understandable. You write these words to us because we need them, God. You write these words because they reveal our hearts. So for those in the room right now that are just devastated, we ask God that you would help us to let those things go. That wrath and revenge, all that stuff that we use in our head just to think about all these revenge fantasies and all these terrible things that we just put in our head all the time. They're not what is gonna make us whole. They're not gonna make us okay. Father, let us release that and be done with it here and now. Forgive us for our sins as we have contributed to the world and free us from the brokenness of our lives. Only Jesus can do that. And we call on him now. It's in your name we pray. Amen.